they've got wineries and vineyards, and it's sort of like Disneyland for old people. You know, there's fudge. There's a lot to stuff in your face, and you can uh, see plays and yeah. see Niagara Falls. It's sort of part of the whole, like if you fly over from China or Russia and you've bought a package to see Canada, you know, you land in Toronto mm-hmm. and you see the CN Tower and you see Niagara Falls, and then you go to Calgary and you see a Mountie, and, you know, it's a whole thing. <laughs> Eat some poutine. Eat some poutine in Quebec, yeah. you know, and then you leave. So you had to get out of the city? I mean, I feel, I still live in Vancouver. I do feel like the city is is coming to an end for me. And I know that's a very middle-aged thing. And in some ways, I think that's just natural. The city is a place for for very young people who Mm -hmm. haven't figured out what they want to do or how they want to do it yet. But I also feel, as I was saying to you, that, you know, capitalism began in cities and it's going to end there. And, Mm. And the end of capitalism is a depressing, tawdry affair. You want, want to be slightly, nothing to do with. Yeah, you want to be slightly out of the uh, the belly yeah, of the beast when it all comes to a screeching I halt. Definitely starting to get the whole like live off the grid and grow your own food. Is that based on recent events, or has this just been a yeah. long time coming? I mean, it's a long time coming, and it's recent events. But you know, there's no question that uh, here's the thing about him is <laughs> you used to have one of him. Yeah, he well, it was a different, it was a different kettle of sure. fish because it's not political. He has no politics. We all know that. He only has himself. And it's very profoundly making me feel the human race is being dragged into the gutter by him as people. Beyond politics, it's just like we're all being demeaned as a species by him. And I think that we all feel a little worse about ourselves. And, you know, that's what abusers do when they're in I've been around people like him before narcissists yeah I mean there was a guy I worked with on radio who went down in a big sex scandal a couple of years it wasn't a sex scandal he hit women <laughs> and was eventually taken to trial and got away with it of course because men do and you know those guys those guys they just they sh- they spread their poison everywhere they go and I feel poisoned by him. You feel like you have a buffer being in somewhere no, lower rural? No. No. Or, I think or we're being all in another in this country together yeah. because I think it's it's about human nature. Like we're going back we're going backwards. We're actually having to ask ourselves like what basic human decency is again. Hmm. I thought we'd settled these things. I thought we'd all agreed that on some basic principles, which now seem to be just, you know, today with the letting people bring elephant heads in. That is just that's yeah. just him wanting to hurt people he wants to make people like me angry well congratulations you did it you know but like we're both drowning here in this shit you don't have any hope that it's cyclical i mean you know i I totally do i totally have hope that it's cyclical america is utterly schizophrenic in every way we're a really big country with a lot of people yeah man there's (laughs) you know i i always say that the the best people the freakiest most loving most self-aware and brave and nutso people I've ever met are Americans. I'm an American. My whole family are Americans. And then there's the others. And like the funny, I guess, dichotomy of America is that without those pigs, this place wouldn't have been founded Mm -hmm. because they're the ones who got in those wagons and went out and murdered by the thousands and were psychopaths. I mean, there is a, a whole class, a whole sort of subset of people in America. Don't forget slavery. Yeah, who are descended from stone-cold psychopaths. So, you know, it's us versus them, isn't it? I mean, that is really the deal. I I assume that having kids is also part of what brought you out of the city. I mean, it's tough to raise them in the middle of an urban environment. Well, no, what brought me out of the city is that my wife is an actor, a stage actor, and there's a theater festival in this little town, Niagara-on-the-Lake. So 
that's what we go where the gig is. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's the life of an actor. And that's how I grew up. My dad and mum were both stage actors. So we were sometimes in Stratford, Ontario, and sometimes in Niagara. But mostly I grew up in Toronto yeah. in the middle of the city. But my kid is, you know, she spends a half the year in Vancouver in downtown and She's got a very uh, peripatetic life, my, mm -hmm. my kid, but that's the life of a gypsy, you know? It's just the way you have to be. It's one of those cases where, you know, nearly 20 years into the band, everybody's just kind of spread out all over the place at this well, point. Well, no, everyone else is in Montreal yeah. within a few blocks of each other, mm -hmm. actually, and we're still in the jam space that we've been in now for almost 15 years, where Arcade Fire used to be, and we're actually, we're, change is anathema to us, but I go where my girl is. That's, yeah. my, that's my ticket, so I, I ride. Do you feel set apart, the fact that you're... I do. Yeah. I do. It's been problematic. And I feel like maybe Stars would have, you know, gotten more done and maybe even been a better band if if that hadn't been the case. But, but we're pretty good. <laughs> and, you know... I don't disagree. You have to live the way you live, yeah. you know? If you're going to be in a love affair for, for decades, you got to go where that person goes. It just can't be a long-distance thing for too long, I don't think. So... I've always prioritized being with my family because I want to. I don't want to die alone. <laughs> you say when you're in a love affair for a couple of decades, or yeah, and you could also be describing the band. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. There is is a definite love affair there too. Is there a strain being put on the group because you're away? Uh, yeah, I think there yeah. is some of the, some of the time. I think if you ask the other members of the band, there are ways in which it upsets them and drives them nuts that they probably keep to themselves. But they also there's also a kind of, there, like all things, there's an advantage to it because yeah. I come in with an outside perspective on stuff. You know, my personality happens to be me and Amy are very outgoing people, very vocal people. Mm -hmm. And the guys in the band are very process-oriented guys and quite quiet people. So they can get to interior and we can get to exterior. And coming into each other's lives and sort of lowering or increasing the temperature of each other can help the work a lot. You're bringing in an outsider perspective, regardless, obviously, yeah. as, as you are a different person, but you feel like the dynamic changes a little bit when you're outside of Quebec. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, it's like a world I don't know. Yeah. Right? It's like a world I'm a part of, but I, I'll never know what it's like when I'm not there. But I guess that's true of life in general. Yeah. Somewhere in the world right now, I'm not there. Sure. It must be so boring wherever it is. I can't imagine what a terrible place it must be. Has that actually impacted the songs that you're bringing to the table? No, because there's Star's World. We agreed on a on a world, not like we didn't write it down on a piece yeah. of paper or anything, but we came to some kind of accord about what kind of world Star's wrote about. There's characters in the world. You know, the light is a certain way. It's certain times of day. Um, and, and there's certain characters in it. And... Uh, and we, when we go into Star's world and we try and make music together, there's a silent agreement that that's the world we're going for. How does that develop? How do you, how do you all come to this point where you've got this sort of larger, almost like fanfic approach to uh, yeah, it's music? like uh, well, it is kind of like it's like inventing a yeah. language, right? It takes a long time, and there's slang, and there's kind of diversions on the way, and and you. you you get lost sometimes, but oh, sorry, that's my flip phone. I'll just turn it off. It's my wife. He actually Hang pulled a out a... Hi, love. Hello? Hi. I'm just doing an interview, but I'll call you right back, okay? Okay, bye. You do have an ancient I, flip phone. I, well, it's brand new. I oh, it's a brand it new flip phone. I replace it all the time. It's only $50, people. It doesn't contain your life. You're not an iPhone guy? No. <laughs> no. Fuck Steve Jobs, man. You know, I, you know, rest in peace and yeah. all that shit, but he destroyed the world. He destroyed the fucking world, man. 
It's destroying our lives. Yeah. I really believe it. In so far as siloing people? Oh, so many ways, man. So many ways. Ultimately, like speaking selfishly, it's destroying uh, making a living in art because if you always have something on a screen, why go out? Why go out at night? And now that, and you know, I was eating in Tea and Sympathy today in New York, which is my favorite restaurant in New York. You know, that little English tea room. And I was just sitting in an ocean of people taking photographs of their tea. And it's like, man, Rupert Everett used to sit in here like flirting with boys. And now I got to look at this tourist from Ohio photographing her cake. Life's getting mundane, man. The more, the more cells there are, the more they all just look the same to me. But that sort of technology, though, isn't that part of what keeps you in touch with the band? Yes. I mean, that, and there's and, an upside. And, like, I love podcasts. I'm a yeah. massive podcast. Yeah. I listen to them all day. Sure. Yeah, I love being able to take this little device yeah. and make music on a beach. It's extraordinary. It's the internet. That's the thing, I think. And and it's human nature, right? It, it's it's how we haven't, like everything else in our lives, we haven't, we've, we've dealt with it like children. Instead we of we all have addicted personalities. Absolutely. And this thing's invented to yeah. addict you, right? And but you know when I get on this old curmudgeonly rant, I always think like when they invented the printing press, there was probably dudes sitting around going, yep. you know, you can't even have a conversation. Yep. People got their book facing a book all the time. They don't even know the stories that we used to pass on. You know, there's always that, right? But I do depend on people showing up. Yeah, I mean that is that is my life. I come out at night. They come out at night. We meet in a room. I tell them a story. And we go home. You're talking about playing a show? Playing a show, doing a play, whatever it yeah. is that I'm doing. I'm a performer. Do you get nervous before every tour? I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I was standing out here. Obviously, all of these shows are sold out. And half an hour before the doors are even set to open, there's a line of people. So obviously, yes. people are very excited to see you play. Yeah, which is awesome. But I get that vibe from a lot of musicians, regardless of what level they're at, that any time they come out, there's a little bit of concern that maybe people don't really care anymore. Yeah, absolutely. There is, of course, every... It's life and death out here for us. And as you get older as a band, as, you, as you're around longer, you know, the music industry and the music press in particular thrive on the new. It's what they predicate their operation on. So it's harder and harder to get press. It's harder and harder to let people know that you're doing stuff. And you understand that as a music fan, obviously, Absolutely, discovery yeah. is a huge part of it, right? Absolutely. Discovery is a huge part of it. And, and so you really have to rely on those people who are lined up half an hour early. And we, we are lucky enough to be a band that has really lifelong listeners, you know, people who are really engaged with the world we've created and and uh, are getting older with us and, and we're picking people up along the way, but we're, we're kind of a lifer band, you know? Um, and that was the whole, that's how we built it. That's how, what we wanted to be was a cult band. Well, and we are. <laughs> let's uh, mission accomplished. <laughs> let's get back to that. Very seldom do I talk to somebody in a band who has such a sort of fully formed idea of not only where you want to go, where you want to be, what level you're at, but actually, again, this idea of world building. Yeah. And you all just sort of came together and had were on the same page about that. Well, we grew up together. Yeah. You know, I've been best friends with Chris, the keyboard player, since I was eight years old. We've known each other for thirty six years, man. I've known Evan for thirty years. I've known Amy for twenty two years years so i deeply know these people yeah and we come from the same neighborhood yeah so we saw the same stuff we saw the same light at the same time of day Hmm. on the way home from school and you know the same songs were playing in in the submarine sandwich shop when we were high when we were 15 and those things that create your aesthetic we had a very similar experience of them so 
there's a lot of shorthand between us, you know? We don't have to sort of go through the litany of like, what do you like? What do you like? It, we were we were in a small Midwestern city in the late 80s and early 90s where, you know, people from other schools, like you knew all the kids in other high schools, you know, we'd all meet in ravines and listen to Pink Floyd. And then we suddenly started listening to the Smiths, you know, but like there was, there's just a, a childhood understanding of things and pop music is childish. It's, it's a, it's about slowing down time. It's about freezing time. You know, each yeah. each song is like a frozen popsicle of time, you know, and you just put it back in the freezer, you come back and it's still kept there, that moment for you in ice. So that's, th that works for us. You have to have some distance between you and the subject matter. It's, it's, you know, what, what I kind of call the hold steady issue, right? It seems like uh -huh. a lot of their music is sort of stuck in this this, yeah. in this place, in this period of time. Yeah. And Craig's, I don't think Craig's really writing about his life yeah. very much at all. It's, it's certainly, knows. it's them, you know, they're all out in New York now and it's them at, in a certain time right. in Minneapolis doing yeah. that because you need a distance to really write about something well to have proper perspective Seven on Seven years, they say. Yeah. That's, I mean, and I, I think that is true. Now, there are people who can be like, I feel something, I'm going to yeah. write it right. And Kanye West is amazing at that, you know what I mean? He truly is. Yeah. He's like, has no filter. Yeah. He just sits down, he's like, uh, this is what's annoying me or turning me on today, and I'm going to talk about Not it. Not that you have too much of a filter, at least. No, in... I have a massive filter. Musically, you do. Well, I, I, I probably delude myself. I probably write about myself much more than I think, think yeah. I do, but my deliberate intention is to not do so. Because I'm not that kind of writer. I love confessional writing, but I like to write stories and I like characters. And you know that that, that Craig Finn record from from I mean he's incredible at this. And that song, what's that spoken word song? God in God in Chicago, man. Have you heard that song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy mackerel, yeah. that's amazing writing. Two and a half minutes. You know everything about those people. You know who, where they come from, the kind of love they had every detail it matters and if you listen to the song all he really does is give you a few details about a drug deal talk a little bit about the light they bought or, some toothbrushes at Walgreens he just describes what happens but everybody's like yep I've done that or yep I understand that and to me that's making other people feel that it's about them is a lot more interesting than than making myself be like oh now I really know myself because I've written about me you know, you keep coming back to the light. Yeah, light's very important. Lights, especially in this record that we just made. I mean, it's called "There Is No Love in yeah. Fluorescent Light." But you know what it is? Is New York because we lived here for ten years and we made our records here. Yeah. And I've been walking around New York today, and the light is is the thing here, right? Hmm. The extremities when you're in the canyons and there's that yeah. dark shade, and you look up in the sky is electric blue, and then you suddenly get into a little chink in the armor, and there's shaft of light and it you're suddenly isolated in it, it it's it it, in, it enhances the drama of new york's architecture and new york's struggle so intensely and then there's that dead light of the subway everyone just like revealed and standing so close to each other and rattling along in this dead light you know so it, it, it i think i'm just musing on it a lot today and and in relation to to music it's like Light and music are both mathematical things, right? Mm -hmm. And you're hearing, you're hearing vibrations. They're or both you're waves. Seeing light. Yeah. They're both waves. Yeah. 
So they, they, they have a lot of similarities. When you talk about the light that's pervasive in your music, what, what is that light? What time of day is that? It's about, it's between like, it's, you know, what David Mamet called the blue hour. Mm. It's the time when you're going home from work and it's not yet dark and you've been your boss's person all day and maybe you're about to go home and be someone else's person. Is that the same as a golden hour? Yeah. It, well, it, the golden sort hour Sort of dusk is, almost? I don't really like that word because to me blue is better because blue is that loneliness of yeah. that dusk. Well, blue you is know? also blue is also the light that transmits from your computer screen that keeps you up at night. Right, right, <laughs> exactly. It's that kind of... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I think that's where stars are trapped. And, you know, if you look at Elevator Love Letter or you look at um, any number of our tunes, we refer a lot to that light. Trapped is an interesting way of putting it. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a constraint. Well, it is. Yeah. But but I, I'm a big believer in art being made up of your obstacles. Right? Sure. You know, that I, I don't understand how with limitless choice yeah. uh, you could make art, you know, uh, unless you're like Picasso. But that's sort of what sucks about him, you know, is because he can do anything brilliantly <laughs> and because it's all perfect. Yeah. You don't love him as much as someone like Matisse yeah. or Andy Warhol. Somebody really struggled Somebody for the Somebody who's art. just like, this is what I do. It's kind of <laughs> weird, but it's what I like. Yeah. You know? And to me, that's that's what makes you love an artist is their, their failure. They're just like you. They're a failure. Yeah. But they strive in this. But you feel like orbiting around the same group of people is in a sense a failure and that you haven't broadened out? No, I, I have no ambition. <laughs> <laughs> you clearly have I mean, ambition fa- or we fa- wouldn't be here. Is my, failure is my religion, yeah. you know? I believe in loss. I think you lose this game. I know you lose this game. We all lose this game. Of what? Of life. We say goodbye. Everything we gained, we lose. So how do you strive to do anything? Well, good fucking question, man. <laughs> You're an incredibly busy guy from the you looks of it. You do it to be loved, right? You get yeah. up in the morning to, be, to love and be loved. To take care of the people you love and to get love from them. Yeah. It's what makes you make breakfast for people or pay your taxes or stay out of trouble or whatever it is for your mom or your lover or your friend, you know? We do it for love. Are, are the shows the most important part for you then? If it's, I mean, that, that's yeah. where you get that. Yeah, the shows it, it's are like, communion. Right? It's like mainlining that yeah. affection, right? Yeah, shows are communion. Yeah. It's my religion and that's where I go to say amen. How consciously then are you thinking of the audience when you all get together and start working one of these records? Well, I am very much thinking yeah. of them. I don't think everybody else in the band is thinking of them, but, <laughs> which is a good thing. But I am always thinking of the audience. Why is it a good thing that they're not? Because I think both are valid. You know, I think it's important to not think about them. I think it's important to think about them. And me and Chris Seligman could not be more profoundly different people. Chris, if he had his way, would never put these records out. He doesn't care. He'd much rather not deal with the nonsense of people's opinions about it and the insecurities that come along with that. I, from the moment I... In, in conceive of something I'm like I want to connect to that to that what drives him then um, if he doesn't want to even put these things he, out he loves music yeah he thinks music's interesting I think does thinking about the fans that deeply does thinking about the reaction does that does that ever inhibit you yes it does are yeah. you a perfectionist no that's I think that's the way in which it inhibits me is that I sort of in order to get that connection I have to I have to be joyful and I have to forgive myself a lot of weaknesses and then they can forgive themselves 
but I sometimes wish I was an artist, a virtuoso, you know? I'm not a virtuoso. I'm an actor who loves music and can sing a little. Yeah. But to be a virtuoso is to is to let the audience be free, really, because you don't you don't need them. Prince didn't need us, man. But but we needed him. And so there was a much more uh powerful kind of position for for an, a musician like yeah, but those are always the ones that <laughs> die tragically. Yeah, well, I think there's something to be said for that. I remember when I it's was... for dying like, tragically? No, no, there's nothing to be said for that. <laughs> no, like for... There's a, there's a trade-off, you know? Yeah. Like if you're going to sleep two hours a night, shit's going to not go well in your life eventually. Yeah. And I remember being young and when I met my wife, Moya, really clearly thinking like, Am I going to devote my life to being a famous, amazing artist? Or am I going to be a pretty good artist and be with this woman until I die? I can't do both. And You think your dependency on other people has... I just think you have to spend a certain amount of time every day taking care of the people you love. And yeah. if you don't do that, you're going to be a shitty dad and a shitty husband. And like, it's more important to me to be a good dad and a good husband than it is to me to be a great musician. It's really important to me yeah. that I make good music, but it's it's just no competition. Like, But I don't know if those people are the way they are because they don't spend that time with other people and they don't interact with other people the same way. It's probably something well, But innate. they are all lonely. Yeah. They are all shitty dads. Well, I guess it's like or maybe, shitty moms, maybe a chicken you know? and the egg situation Yeah, if, if that's what sort of drives them to, to be that way. But... You know, in order for you to write the music that you do, you do have to live your life. You do, you do, and you got to keep going. I want to do this for a long time. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to burn out. I want to fade away. Specifically, with this band. Yeah, yeah, this band and lots of other stuff. But you know, I'm not a. I'm not a lever. I don't end things. If you're my friend, I will put up with yeah. any bullshit, and I expect you to do the same. I'm insufferable, but if you're going to be my friend, you have to forgive me. Is this the thing, though, that you're the most proud of? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't believe what we did. You know, I remember the first time we sent a record out, like, in an envelope to yeah. an indie label. I was like, if it just is on a shelf at Other Music on 4th Street, <laughs> my entire life will be complete. And, like, five years later, we were, you know, the number three selling record yeah. of the year on, on Other Music on 4th Street. And... That shit just blows my mind. It's it's been a beautiful thing. It's interesting that that so much of the you know, in spite of the fact that you you are very much not from here, so much of the genesis of the band is tied to New York. Yeah, well, we lived here for ten yeah. years, man, and you know my family's from here. Yeah, I am a New Yorker. There's a lot about me. Like in Canada, they think of me as an American because I act like one. And even in the band, sometimes I'm like, well, fuck this guy, and everyone else is like. No, you know, it's not really... <laughs> my God, you're so Canadian. Coming back to New York, obviously, must bring up a lot of memories from the oh, beginning yeah. of the bands. Do you consider yourself a, a nostalgic person? Yes. Uh, to the degree that it has captured my life, man. Like, I'm nostalgic about the fucking beginning of this interview, you know? I am very, very, very... I find it very hard to let go. Yeah. Of stuff, and that plays itself and, out in your music. Yeah, and I think that's what people love about our band is that, yeah, the more you live, the more you, 
you look backwards and the more you hang on to the beauty of what you had and you hope it'll come again but nostalgia is like that's that's the fuel of of memory and memory is the fuel of art right so without nostalgia i don't know how you make pop music it's it's like pop music and nostalgia are like coffee and cream There you go, that's Torkel Campbell of Stars. Kind of bummed that that one was a little bit on the short side, unfortunately. Had some uh, scheduling constraints. That was recorded ahead of a couple of sold-out shows at Rough Trade in Brooklyn. Really enjoy that talk. I feel like we were uh, really getting into it in the end, and unfortunately I had to cut short, but uh, I am grateful for the time that we had. Thanks so much to him for taking the time to do that. Thanks to Hector for setting that up. Stars' latest record out as of October of last year is called There Is No Love in Fluorescent Light, and it's very, very wonderful highly recommend you check it out thanks to you guys as always for listening to the program if you like the show there are a number of ways to support us the easiest is to give us a rating and a review over on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts you can like us on facebook follow us on tumblr that's rwellcast.tumblr.com if you've got any feedback it's rwellcast at gmail.com and i think that's about all i got for this week so stick around because we will be back just about this time next week with another episode of rwell 